Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, it's Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from, their, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Verse 9. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles your father or mother must surely die. But you say, The man tells his father, or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now just for your help, um, for your peace, for your Holy Spirit to come and convict us as we look at this passage. I pray that you give us open hearts and minds to seeing how you're calling us into a more uh, loving obedience to you, that we would look at your commands not as burdensome, but as delight. We pray, Lord, ultimately, that this time would honor and glorify your name. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just got fresh off the holiday season, and with all the holiday season, um, I'm sure we all have some type of tradition or traditions when it comes to the holidays. Um, growing up, I had a tradition that on Christmas Eve, you can open one present, right? And Christmas morning, you'd open the rest of them. And I always try to get like the biggest, awesomest present. And we kind of got to pick. My mom never put the nice present out until the next morning. But I'd always kind of like look and feel and I'd open it, and it'd be something, like, very not that great. Like, one time it was, like, a blanket. It's like, oh, you know, I ruined my Christmas Eve present on a blanket. Um, but, you know, it's interesting having my own kids and starting new traditions, right? Uh, we do Brinner Christmas Eve, right? We eat breakfast food the night before Santa comes. And, and I'm sure as, uh, you can all relate to random traditions. Does anyone have like a, a, a tradition that they have around Christmas like to share with the group? Jordan. Um, we do fondue with like meat and oil. Oh, fondue. Yeah. That's she going to buy it next time. <laughs> Although I do rare. Um, and traditions, like it's not just for holidays, right? I think people have game day uh, rituals, so it's kind of interesting like during NFL season, if you ever like watch some of these commercials, um, like all these superstitions that, that people have about their team winning, that they, they have to sit in this certain spot. Um, that age-old, I forget the name of the movie, where the baseball movie, it's black and white. Like, he doesn't wash his socks at all. And then his mom washes his socks, and 
they lose the championship game, right? Like some kind of ritual or tradition. Uh, as you all know, I like golf. And every time, I mean, it's insane. You watch a pro <coughs> looking at their shot, and, and they go through this ritual, like this uh, pre-shot routine, they call it. And they're just doing the same thing over and over again. Um, at meals, we have traditions from a Christian home. Um, I, I feel like still to this day, I cannot eat any meal with a good conscience if I don't at least utter some kind of prayer to God, right? Maybe you have like a little tradition at your home where everyone sits down at dinner and we hold hands and we give grace and, you know, and maybe for your tradition at family as we just watch uh, TV as a family, we just kind of sit there and eat our food. But we have traditions for everything, Right. Like, we have a Monday morning tradition. We have a Friday afternoon tradition. We have so many different things that are just the normal. And that it's even true when we talk about how we do ministry or how we come to church. So I'll give you an example. Typically, our tradition is such that we have three rows of 12 with a gap in the middle. Right? But tonight, we kind of broke that tradition. It kind of just worked out in my illustration, honestly. But that is our tradition. Our tradition is typically we sing a few songs, I give a message, and then we maybe have one or two songs after that, right? And so it's not to say that our way is the best way, not to say that because I eat Brenner and Jordan does fondue that that she's right or I'm right. It's just kind of the way we typically do things. Now here, here is maybe the issue of what we run into when it comes to traditions is when we get so dogmatic about the way we need to do things, that we elevate it to a point that if we don't do it, we are actually sinning. Let's give me an example. You grew up in a house, and you have fondue for Christmas Eve. But one day, and this day will happen, Jordan will get married, right? And he's going to be a, 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 <laughs> a fine young chap who's going to provide well and love her all the days of her life, take care of her when she gets sick and all that stuff. But he's going to say, like, well, my family, we did Chipotle on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's cute, though. But now that you're married to me, we do it my way. And he's like, no, 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 no. Now that you're married to me, we're going to do it my way. And you find yourself in a bit of a crossroads. But, but what if Jordan, well, we'll go with her future husband. We don't want to make Jordan the, the bad person here. What if the, the husband of Jordan says, I don't care what you say, we absolutely 100% of the time will do it this way, and if we don't do it, there's going to be some mad problems. You'd be like, bro, the point of Christmas is that we just enjoy our family, we celebrate Christ, like, it doesn't need to be so dogmatic. But no, Christmas is about eating Chipotle on Christmas Eve. You're like, no, Christmas is not about that. I say all that because what if Tonight when we walked in, Tyler Gibbs is like, this is garbage. I will not sit in semicircles. I need three rows of 12 with a gap in the middle. But Tyler, man, it doesn't really matter. It's just a place to sit down. No, it has to be this way. If we don't have three rows of 12 with a gap in the middle, I can't worship well anymore. As a matter of fact, I think God is mad at us for changing it up. Like, did you get in a car accident on the way here? Like... It sounds absurd, in a way, to elevate tradition to a point of, like, we absolutely have to do it. Now, here's the thing. I, what I'm trying to get at is tradition isn't good or bad. 
Like, it is not our tradition during worship to come up to the stage, like, this close to Riley, like a concert, and just start singing, like, right here, right? But what if we had some people come into our group? Like, that's their tradition. They come up, and they're like, Riley's like, dude, what? what is going on here? We'd be like, why are these people so weird? But from their tradition, that's normal, right? And, and so what we have in this passage is the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are people who kind of, they, they found their, their right and their form in this time, what we call the intertestamental period. It's the time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what started off was very good intentions, where they kind of saw how the Jewish people had this trajectory of not obeying God's law, right? They kind of saw that people needed some restraints. And so they, they kind of set up a few traditions, a few they kind, of like, kind of guardrails to help us not break the law. But what happened is those guardrails became, these traditions became so important to them that they said, the whole meaning of Christmas is that we eat Chipotle. But is that the meaning of Christmas? No. The meaning of Christmas is the incarnation. And Jesus fights over and over and over again with these kind of rules and things of tradition. And, and here's what I'd like to do tonight. Okay? And I'll be a little more brief in my introduction. I would like to show us how Although traditions can be good, even in the Christian life, there are two dangers that are posed to us when we come to church and when we live in the Christian life, if we just do things the same way over and over again without the right heart behind it. In essence, if we don't understand what really is important at the end of the day, end of the day we'll be in danger of being just like the Pharisees. So uh, that's kind of like what we're going, two dangers of what tradition can do for us. So uh, go ahead and look down for a second at verse uh, three. Um, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. So the tradition of the elders right there, that is like the tradition of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees came up with like, there's like 600 and something laws, right? But the, the, the Pharisees came up with like thousands of laws or rules or traditions to not break any of those. And so one of them was, is that as Jewish people, they were not to eat any food undefiled, okay? God made that rule. It's a good rule. God wanted his people to eat healthy foods and the things that would kind of work for their health and their benefit. So God in Leviticus made all these dietary laws. But the Jews said, hey, to doubly help make sure that we don't break this law, these dietary laws, we're going to make some other laws, some kind of traditions. That one, every single time we eat, we've got to wash our hands very, like, just nice and smooth, okay? We also have to make sure that all of our dishes, the, the, the chairs we sit on, everything has to be perfectly clean before we eat. Now you kind of think, like, hygiene is good, right? We do the same things, right? Like, I mean, we're in Mexico building a house and my hands are all dirty and you're kind of like, is there like water or hand sanitizer anywhere? Like, we, we do the same things. But here's the issue. These people were accusing Jesus of kind of like a lesser spirituality because they didn't do it. Now, here's the thing. If you don't wash your hands before you eat a sandwich, that's your prerogative. Okay, like, I, personally, I want to wash my hands before I eat, especially if I just use the bathroom or something like that. Good hygiene is always good, right? But here's the thing. What the Pharisees and us were saying is that eating good dietary laws is on the same as washing your hands before. 
But here's, here's the crazy part. You guys ready for this? Nowhere in the Bible, in God's law, does it say you have to wash your hands before you eat. And so what the Pharisees were doing, they were taking small little rules of like, you have to only use the ESV version. You can only use G-shaped chords when you play worship. That's for you, Riley. Right? That you can only have youth group on Sunday nights. Right? You can only read this type of author. You can only listen to this type of music. You can only watch this type of movie. You can only wear this type of clothing. You can only go to this type of college. And they, what they would do is they would get these, these, these little laws and traditions, and they'd say, you have to do it this way. And here is the first point. The danger of, of tradition is that it can turn us into Christian hypocrites. It can turn us into Christian hypocrites. So they, they kind of, they, uh, Mark helps us understand what this tradition is. And then the Pharisees like, hey, Jesus, why aren't you doing like this? And I love his response. Like, he, he is not happy. Because look what he says. Uh, verse 6. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Whoa. Like, Isaiah doesn't really mention hypocrites. Jesus kind of just adds that in there. Like, hey, Isaiah was talking about you hypocrites when he said this. And what does he say? What does Isaiah say? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What's interesting about that word hypocrite, it's a Greek word that is associated with acting. To all of you who are my friends that were in Beauty and the Beast, I saw you. You were acting, right? Cameron is not a real baker, right? He, he, he was acting. You were, were you a tree at one point? Yeah, you were not a tree. You were Ellie Nemeth. You're just a townsperson, Emma. I was a knife. Okay. A knife. You're not a knife, right? You, you were acting. You were acting. Now, now here's the thing. I, I think this is the point maybe for us that, that we are very close to the Pharisees. Here's the thing. The Pharisees thought that they were really holy and pious and God-fearing people because they did a lot of religious activity. They thought by just doing these laws, and even though their heart wasn't really right, even though they, they, they kind of they made up all of these rules by doing them, they found themselves to be holy. But here's what Jesus is calling them on. You're just acting. You're just playing a part. Deep down in your hearts, there really isn't a desire to walk in holiness, to know God personally. And the thing, I think for us, if this happens, I think, pretty frequently. That more often than not, sometimes we kind of come to church and we more or less go through these emotions. And you know what we're doing? We're acting. Some of us, I think, even kind of, will even close our eyes during worship or raise our hands. Maybe in small groups, we, we kind of try to say certain things to get people to think that we're actually doing well with the Lord, right? We kind of like throw out some, some false pictures so our smaller leader kind of gets off our case a little bit, right? We, we, we say things that aren't really true of our hearts. And that's the thing with traditions. Like doing small groups, is, that's not a bad tradition at all to have. But here's the thing. If we do them thinking that is accomplishing for something for us, we've missed the point of doing small groups. If we like worship because we like to sing songs and, and it kind of makes me like warm and fuzzy, like we, we've missed the purpose of worship. And Jesus, he's mad. 
Do you want to know why? Do you know why Jesus calls them hypocrites? Because Jesus did not leave heaven's glory for your performance. Jesus doesn't want your youth group attendance. Jesus doesn't want your copy, fake, phony answers for a small group. Jesus doesn't want you just to try and to, just to put on a mask and to say, oh, I'm going to try to be this Christian person. And, and uh, yeah, I kind of do this sometimes. And here's what Jesus really wants. Are you ready for this? He wants you. He wants you to be yourself. He wants you to be real. He doesn't want you to hide behind this mask. And sometimes, whether it be the pressure we put on ourselves or the pressures to please a leader or a parent or a friend next to us, we all at times play the role of a hypocrite. We act. We go through the motions. But let me tell you, when we come up here to, and bring God's word before you, it isn't just to give you intellectual knowledge. When we sing songs, it isn't just to kind of help you learn how to sing in public. When we ask you to be vulnerable and authentic in small groups, it isn't just for the sake of authenticity. It's that in all these things, we would learn to love God more. That we would know and it would be communicated to us week in and week out that because of his grace, we know that we matter to God. So, uh, let me illustrate it one more last way, and then we'll move to the next point. Um, imagine every single Friday I buy my wife flowers. Right? I find out she likes flowers, and I'm like, okay, Amy, here are these flowers for you. And so actually, I put up, um, I have this little to-do list app, and I, I put it in there every single Friday, buy Amy flowers, and I do it. And every Friday I give her flowers. But then imagine that throughout the week and every single day, I am cold and distant to her that I never spend any quality time, which is her love language, if you know the love languages. Her love language, Amy's love language, is quality time. And imagine I just kind of, I never really talk to her. I kind of ignore her. I sleep on the couch. She lives her separate life. But every single Friday, what do I do? I bring her flowers. What would that gesture mean to her? I think it, more than nothing, I think it would be cruel. Because I think it's kind of insulting. Because here's the thing, true love doesn't just go through some outer performance and, here, I'm going to do this for you. I think God, here's the thing, is the same way. He doesn't just want you to, hey, I came to youth group, here you go. Hey, I read my Bible, here you go. He wants you personally. He wants you to be connected to him. He wants you to know that you are loved and out of that love that you would return to him. This type of traditions is really the essence of um, what leads to Christian hypocrisy. And it's a danger that we all at times fall into and we need to avoid. Second danger is this. Um, When it comes to tradition of just doing the motions, we end up worshiping with our lips and not with our hearts. We worship with our lips and not with our hearts. Um, I don't know if you noticed, I was sitting there singing, but I had my phone out, um, which can maybe come off a little irreverent, but I was writing down a list of words that we sang just tonight, right? There's a million songs I could pull from that we sing as Christians, but some of the things that we sang tonight, let me just read a few lines. We said, um, we live for you, right? We live for you. Kind of like 
pretty common Christian expression that I'm not living my life for my own glory or for my own vision of the good life. I'm going to live my life according to what God wants me to do. I'm going to follow him. We sing, I will build my life upon your word. That in essence, your word is going to be the foundation for how I make decisions of what is right and wrong, uh, of the counsel I receive. Everything in my life is going to be built upon you. We sang those words. I heard you sing them. There is no one beside you. I will put my trust in you alone. You alone are worthy of our praise. And here's my question. Do we ever stop to think about the things that we sing about? Are these things actually true of you? Now, in one sense... Sometimes when I, when I sing a song and, I, and, I, and I, I read the words and I sing them out loud, I will put my trust in you alone. There, there might be a moment of honest confession that I have. Lord, I don't do this well. As a matter of fact, Lord, this week I, I trust in my own ways. But here I, I'm, I'm reaffirming, I'm, I'm recommitting that I'm, I'm going to trust in you. And you know why? Because I will never be shaken. So sometimes that, that's what worship is for. It reminds us. But, but here's the thing. How often do we worship with our lips and never actually make a conscious decision to obey these in our hearts? How often, when it comes to a message and the application goes out, how often during a small group you're given a challenge or an encouragement by someone? How often when you read the Bible or you hear something on the radio, does it move past your head and move to your hands. Because here's the thing with these Pharisees. They are people who can honor and say a lot of great things about Jesus, but what did Jesus accuse them of? Your hearts are far from me. If we are really to be introspective for a second, to become self-aware, how much of your faith is actually being put into action. How many of the things that you've shared and sang about and prayed about become things that you do? It's interesting, Jesus kind of says, uh, I'm not just going to leave you with this quote from Isaiah. He actually gives an example. And it's kind of a unique thing, and I do some research on it. But in essence, Jesus says, okay, I'll give you an example of how you guys are pretty much hypocrites and you only worship with your lips and not really with actions. Uh, there's the command to honor your father and mother. Okay, now to honor your father and mother, one of the ways you did that is you would care about them financially in their elderly age. Now, back then, there wasn't retirement accounts, right? Your retirement was your children. So typically, when you got too old to work, your children took care of you. And so that was kind of the law. Honor your father and mother. Part of the way you honored your father and your mother was you took care of them in an old age. Now, here's the thing. The Pharisees came up with this tradition, that you can give some of your wealth to the temple. And that's the law of Corbin, right? Jesus kind of mentions that. And the law of Corbin says that you can give your wealth to the temple, and it technically belongs to the temple, but you can still kind of use it for your own. And typically, wealth back then was measured in agricultural property, real estate, and all that stuff. But here's what people were doing. 
in order to not have to give up their wealth to take care of their parents in their older age, they would give it to the temple and wait for their parents to die and then go back and get their wealth. But it was all technically illegal. Why? Because it was the tradition of the day. And Jesus says, you guys are the worst. Because you take a, a, a command of God and you lower it and you let some tradition of man supersede it. And Jesus actually says, and many such things you do. You guys do this all the time. You take what God's word says and you, and you just think it's not that big of a deal because you make up some other rules to, to take over it. And what, what, what Jesus is trying to communicate here is don't be someone who says that you're going to live for God and I, I follow Yahweh and I'm a Christian and I'm going to go to church and youth group. But yet when it comes to actually in your day-to-day life, not do anything about it. We don't take the commands of God seriously. Like this morning in Sunday school, we talked about the illustration of Abraham and Isaac, right? Abraham was finally given this son, Isaac. And what did God tell Abraham to do? To kill him. To, to raise the sword and to slay his promised son. Now, here's the thing. Abraham could have been at home and says, you know, I, I trust God. I believe in his promises. He's going to come through. He could have said all these things, but when did he actually show true faith? When he raised up the dagger to kill his son. It, it is one thing with your lips to say, I will follow the Lord. It is another act of true faith where we actually raise up the dagger and trust that God's promises are true. Jesus is looking not just for performance, not just for Christian students who kind of say a few words, go on a few trips, but he's looking for hearts that desire him, that long for him. And my last question is this. How do we get to that? How do we... Like, because part of my, I was thinking about this too, like, I don't want us to get to the point where, okay, like, Aaron, when it comes to worship, I don't really care. So does that mean I just don't sing at all? Maybe. Maybe. But instead of maybe being reductionist or, or fatalistic, how about we actually take the time to be honest with God during worship? Lord, right now, I don't know what's going on in my heart. There's a million things I'm stressed about. Maybe I'm afraid that this person's going to think I'm weird for singing, or, or God, I don't, I don't know why I don't actually practice works or good deeds in my faith, but Lord, can you, can you teach me? Can you, like maybe that's, that's the first step, right? But, but here is where I think maybe we need to always remind ourselves of. Until the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection really captures your heart you will only really be saying words and never actually worshiping God from a heart of thankfulness. Until you actually stare and behold the love that God has for you and that he sent his one and only son for you, every song that you sing, every word that you proclaim, every sin that you confess will feel like you're just acting It'll, it'll be something where you worship God with your lips, but not with your heart. So what's the secret of living a life that is close to God, that avoids traditions as dangers? Here it is. That you know the joy of the gospel. That in Christ, you are more loved than you could possibly imagine. That in Jesus, 
Your sins are not counted against you. And every morning, his mercies are new. That is how we get to a point to where our worship becomes a, a heart of joy. Where our Christian service becomes not from duty, but from delight. And how do we avoid just kind of over, uh, over-analyzing tradition, like where we don't care if it's semicircles or three rows of 12 with the gap in the middle, whether we use the ESV or the NIV, whether it's this guy or that guy <laughs> leading worship or that guy preaching. How, how do we get over the fact that traditions are okay but not necessary? When you realize the heart behind of why we do everything. And what's that heart? To know Christ and to make him known to everyone else. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we ask that you would help us in this battle of, of going through the motions, Lord, of living a Christian life that can be um, at times ingenuine. But Father, I pray that you would give us hearts of true faith, that we would avoid being hypocritical, that we avoid be, being people who just say one thing but mean another. Father, I pray that you would melt our hearts right now with the truth that you love us so much, that our sins are forgiven in Christ, that there isn't anything that we have to do right now to get, to get you to love us anymore. Help us to see grace in a whole new light tonight. And I pray from that would spring a heart that truly desires to worship your name. God, give us the strength each day and every Sunday night when we come to youth group to not act, but to joyfully sing praises to the God who is so worthy. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.